our Bible reading today is from Mark, Mark 1, 1 to 8. The beginning of the good news... Is that on? Oh, okay. <laughs> the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins They were baptised by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of those sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and to untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, this week uh, we're going to start our series in the book of Mark. Uh, I think it's going to be, I'm looking forward to this, it's very foundational. I think it's good for us. I haven't sat in a gospel uh, here and I think it's really important for us Uh, to journey with Jesus. Uh, You know, we started the year in prayer, uh, looking at eight weeks in prayer. We've had Easter, and we're going to stay in Mark right through to next Easter. We're going to spend some good time in it. We're going to look at each of these narratives. We're going to look at the story. We're going to journey with Jesus. And the whole idea is to very much get to know who he is and the challenges he puts on our life and to be able to understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So let me pray and, uh, and we'll start this series uh, in the Gospel of Mark. Heavenly Father, you are merciful Saviour, you are blessed Redeemer, you are. Father God, we've just sung these wonderful big words about you. You are the one who has been faithful to your promises and Father God, we can come confidently to your word now knowing that you have provided it through the Holy Spirit. And Father God, as we open the book of Mark, we pray that we will be blessed, not just with words that make us feel good, but words which challenge us, words which refine us, uh, words which bring us into a space where we can worship the Lord Jesus in a way which we haven't before. And Father God, right now I pray a blessing over this time together. Uh, As we look at your word, we pray that you guide us and that you speak to us. And we prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, I'm not sure if you've seen a show that's on the ABC. Uh, it's called Tomorrow Tonight. Uh, someone this week put me onto it. And they've got, a, they've got an episode, which I think was aired a few weeks ago, called Beliefs. And Annabelle Crabb, who's in the centre there, she basically gets a panel together and you've got Adam Liao, who's a cook. I think he won MasterChef or comes second on MasterChef. Uh, You've got Charlie Pickering, who used to be uh, the host 
uh, of uh, the project uh, and who is on certain ABC shows. And then they have two other guests. And this particular week, they got Walid Ali in, who's, I'm not sure if he's still the project host, uh, but he's a writer and academic. And uh, the other person there is uh, Nerelda Jacobs, who's a journalist. Now, on this show, they basically pick a topic and they bring it out into a forum and they discuss it. And this week was on belief. Did anyone, have anyone seen this episode? Yeah, it's really fascinating. And if you get onto ABC iView, and I really encourage you to see it. Now, the reason I'm bringing it to you this morning is because the discussion is really, it all focuses, it all comes to a point around Jesus. Now, none of them are professing Christians. Now, Walid Ali is a Muslim, and he's very open about that. Uh, Charlie Pickering, surprisingly, used to be a Christian and he's converted to Judaism. Uh, He married a Jewish woman and he converted and he now practices Judaism. Uh, Narelda Jacobs, she grew up in a Methodist home. Uh, Both her mum and her dad were Methodist ministers. Uh, They met and got married. Well, I think her mum was a Methodist minister first. They got married and her dad became a Methodist minister. But now she's walked away from that uh, belief system and she believes the ancestors, because she's from Aboriginal heritage, she believes ancestors are the ones who are watching over us. So she's moved back more to the Aboriginal dreamtime belief. Uh, And... Who have I missed there? And Charlie, no. And Adam Lau is a... Basically, he says... I'm an atheist. He grew up in a Christian home, has walked away, and he says, look, I just can't believe. I just can't believe. And it's a really fascinating discussion they have. And it comes to a point where they start uh, discussing things, and, 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 and as they move on, Annabelle Crabb pulls out a box. And because they've all got some sort of Christian background, or Walid Ali's done a lot of study as well, She pulls out a box and she asks this question. She says, if there was definitive proof that Jesus was who he claimed to be in this box, would you open it? And it was a really fascinating discussion. Adam Liao, I think it was, starts going, well... Even if it's definitive proof, it doesn't doesn't really disclaim the other truths that are out there. A very relativistic current mindset. And out of nowhere, Walid Ali says, you can't say that because Jesus' claims upon his life and Christianity's claims are exclusive. You cannot have that to be true and other things to be true, which is exactly right. And it was a really defining moment, I think, in the moment. He's this Muslim recognising very clearly that if that's definitive proof that Jesus is who he says he is, then you have to follow him, you have to accept that, and you have to embrace Christianity for what it says it is. And so it goes to the, around the table, and, and, and Walid Ali goes, well, if it's definitive proof, yes, I open the box. Adam Liao goes, well, I'm an atheist, but I'm always searching for truth and truth, and if it's definitive proof, I would open the box. But the other two said, no, I wouldn't open it. I would not open the box. 
And I think it's a really interesting way in how our world thinks about truth. You get to choose what's true and what's not true. Well, I'm going to put to you this morning that I think that in that box would probably be the book of Mark. See, what's fascinating about our world is it thinks there is no proof about Jesus. There is no way that we can know that he's the son of God, that he is who he claims to be, that he is the promised Messiah. But it's just that they're not opening the box. They're not willing to come with all openness into what has been provided to us through seeking with us through the Holy Spirit and asking God himself to reveal it to him. And we know that it is God who calls, God who enables, God who opens our eyes, the scales fall off. But I think what we have as we enter into the Gospel of Mark, and I hope this becomes clearer and clearer week after week after week, is we have... A wonderful book, and it's not just the Gospel of Mark, it's the Bible, and it's all the Gospels. But the Gospels that talk about the Lord Jesus, as we open them, we should be challenged. And we should see, wow, this man is who he claims to be. And this morning I just want to look at the first eight uh, verses, and we're we're only going to look at uh, really... Uh, three points, and, and I'm not going to give you an in-depth detail about this, but I do want to talk about these verses because how Mark opens his book is very important for how we enter the book. Now, if you have a look at uh, verse 1, he simply says, the beginning of the gospel or good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, if you look at the other uh, Gospels, uh, Mark starts with, uh, Matthew starts with a genealogy, uh, Luke starts with the birth narrative, but here we have Mark, and we'll see this week after week, he just gets straight to the ministry, and you'll see he just never stops. It just goes bang, 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 and it just keeps going, and he brings it all together, and it really has a lot of momentum going. But the first thing I want you to notice is that the Gospel which translated good news, and I'm kind of disappointed the new NIVs put the good news there, but the gospel is about Jesus. Now that might seem a bit basic, but here we're not questioning whether Jesus existed. Now the book of Mark isn't to try to prove that Jesus existed. That's not why it was written. And in fact, there's questions around that that's float around, but the best academics in all the world have said There is no doubt that Jesus, the person that is talked about in the Bible, existed. The documents we have before us, the thousands and thousands of manuscripts that we have all over the world, that that, that are in museums and and, and in all sorts of places, they are from, you know, we've got fragments from 100 AD. Well, Julius Caesar, we have fragments from 800 AD, 800 years after he lived, and we don't even question that. You wouldn't question that Julius Caesar existed. So we're not here to answer the question. Mark's not here to answer the question whether the man Jesus Christ existed or Jesus existed, Jesus of Nazareth. What he does is he's asking another question. It's about who he is. Who does he claim to be and is he that person? That's what the Gospel of Mark is doing. 
Is he who he claimed to be? Now, Walid Ali in that, in that episode recognises that if there's proof and he is who he claims he is, he says it himself. Walid Ali says, well, it means he is God himself. And if that's definitive proof, then why would you not follow him? And so that's what Mark is trying to counter here. He's writing to people who lived in the time of Jesus. No one's saying the man didn't exist. But Mark's putting all these things of his life and his ministry together and saying, now make a decision about whether he is who he claimed to be. And that's, that's effectively what Mark's saying. The gospel, the good news, is about Jesus. The second thing is the gospel is about the Messiah. Now, I'm not sure how much you know, but the name Christ doesn't mean it's Jesus' surname. It simply means the Messiah. It's the Greek word for Christos, for the Messiah, which simply means the anointed one. Now, right throughout the Old Testament, right throughout uh, the prophets, they are looking towards the time when the Messiah or the Anointed One would be revealed. Uh, If you have a look at that first verse, it says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now that's actually a mixture of uh, Micah and, uh, and Isaiah. And what's so important here is that this isn't some new gospel that Mark or the disciples have created. This is a fulfilment of what was always promised by God. Go back to the Garden of Eden. We have the beautiful creation, the fall, the taking of the tree from the knowledge of uh, good and evil. Humanity falls, separation from God. We are told the serpent will strike his heel. And it's always looking to this time when people would be saved. And the prophets over and over are talking about a time when the oppressive regime that is over God's people would be broken down by this anointed one, who the true king who would come and save Israel, God's people. And here Mark is saying this good news which is about Jesus, the Messiah, the Anointed One, who is the Son of God, is a fulfilment of all that has happened in the Old Testament, all the promises of God. And this is uh, started by the coming of John the Baptist. Now, if we just have a look back in Micah, Micah chapter 3 says this very thing. It says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? 
for he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. See, Mark is saying that all the things that are wrong with Israel, all the things that are wrong with humanity are now being fulfilled uh, in, 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 in the overcoming of these things by the anointed one, the promised Messiah coming into the world. So here we have the gospel is not just about Jesus the man, but it is about Jesus being the Messiah. It is about the Messiah. And who is that Messiah? Well, it's Jesus. And you cannot talk about the good news of God without talking about Jesus being the Son of God the promised saviour of the world who would save the people from the oppressive regime that we know is sin and which looks to a day where we will be reunified with God under his rule. And so this is really what's happening in all these little things in the beginning of the gospel. Mark's setting this foundation to say, look, I'm about to describe to you uh, everything that Jesus is. So the question about uh, for Mark is, who is this man? And I just want to go through a couple of verses and show you that this is reinforced over and over and over again in the first eight chapters or nine chapters of the book. And if you remember, uh, in chapter 2, there's a healing of a paralytic. Friends lower him through the, through the, through the roof. Jesus heals, Jesus forgives him first and then uh, heals him. And they say, and the, and the teachers of the law say, now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow, this ordinary man, talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So this question about who is this man? And then later on in chapter 2, Jesus is talking about being the Lord of the Sabbath. And in verse 27, he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. See, this is in response to the Pharisees saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is lawful on the, unlawful on the Sabbath? There's all these questions around him and his disciples. And he's declared himself to be the Son of Man in answer to that. In chapter 4, the parable of the sower. Uh, then we've got a lamp on a stand. Uh, the parable of the growing seed. The parable of the mustard seed. And, and he, he's talking all these parables about the kingdom of God. And with many similar parables, he spoke a word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable but when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. He then calms a storm. And, uh, and then he says, why are you so afraid? And his disciples say, we're told they were terrified. And they ask each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Can you hear the questions about who this man is going over and over? And then in chapter 6, verse 2. 
Jesus talks about uh, a prophet in his hometown. Jesus left and went to his hometown, accompanied by the disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and everyone was amazed. And then they asked this question, where did this man get these things? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? See, there's these questions. Who is this guy? Why is he doing thing, these things? Why is he getting this? And in Mark, this culminates. It builds and builds and builds. And we'll see this over the weeks ahead until we get to chapter 8. And Jesus directly poses the question to them. He says, who do people say I am? Well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. And then he says, but what about you? For eight chapters, for year, these years, these times you've walked with me, you've seen all these things, you've heard my teaching, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. See, this is the whole question. And this is the claim that Jesus is making upon his own life. And you can't sit there and go, yes, he was a man who lived, but he's got nothing to do with me. He makes no claim on my life. It doesn't matter who he says he is, because it does matter. You can't sit and not open the box. You have to open this box and you have to make a decision about who this man is. Because how did he perform all these miracles? What is this teaching that he's got? Why is he dying on the cross? How is it that he's able to go through and persevere as he does? Why is it that these people are saying these things about him? Why is it that he has such a great impact in the lives of these 12 disciples after his resurrection? See, you cannot come to the book of Mark and you cannot come to Jesus without asking the question, well, is he who he says he is? Because you've now opened the box. And the people that walked with him, they think about all these stories. No one ever refuted Mark to say, hey, look, no one ever lowered a paralytic. No one ever, Jesus didn't heal him. The stories in Mark have never been refuted in Matthew, in Luke. There's no question about that. They would have been pushed aside. These aren't academics. These aren't guys that were sitting in their studies doing all the research. These are guys that were walking. Mark was the contemporary of Peter. He would have walked with Peter. A lot of this would have come from Peter himself. You can't sit on the fence. See, the gospel is about Jesus, but the gospel is about the Messiah, and it's about Jesus being the Messiah. And finally, the gospel is a proclamation of victory. Now, you would have known, probably from other sermons or my sermons, that when uh, in the Roman Empire, when there was a gospel announced, it was really a victory of battles. And they would have come back from battle and a big announcement would have been made and it would have been great rejoicing because uh, Rome was now entering into a time of peace and prosperity because the battle had been won. But it actually moved from that to become an announcement about the emperor. See, the emperor was the god of Rome. They were gods 
And gospels were made all the time about emperors. When the heir to the throne was born, there was a gospel announced. When the heir became in the coming of age, a gospel was announced. When, they came, when there was an accession to the throne, a gospel was announced. There was an inscription found about these Gospels. And these Gospels were always to proclaim the Emperor as the God who brought peace and prosperity to the people of Rome. And one of these inscriptions was about the birthday of Emperor Augustus. And it says, It is a day which may be justly count, counted as equivalent to the beginning of everything if not in itself and in its own nature, at any rate in the benefits it brings, inasmuch as it has restored the shape of everything. A birthday of a God that they saw was to bring all peace and prosperity and restore everything as it should be. So something really important is happening here in the Roman uh, culture that Mark is writing into. He is saying not that a gospel is being announced and no one would have written a gospel about anyone but the emperor. Notice the word, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the true king, the true emperor. This is a radical book. This is the first gospel written. And he is announcing into the Roman Empire that the true king is coming. The true king is coming into the world, has come and has performed all these great miracles and has now died on the cross, been raised again to life. Why? To bring peace and prosperity. He is redefining the Roman cult. This is a radical and surprising announcement that is being made. So he's announcing the true king. And it's an announcement of victory. It is a proclamation. This whole book is a proclamation of victory. Where the one who was worthy died on the cross to save the people from their sins. So that they could walk in peace and prosperity, prosperity with God and with each other. See, the gospel is good news. And as we journey through Mark over these coming weeks, I encourage you to ask the question, who is this man and what impact does this mean for my life? And we will ask that over and over and over again when we see him healing the blind, driving out impure spirits, calming the storm, taking a few loaves and feeding 5,000, healing, and then eventually a third of Mark's narrative is about that road to the cross, taking the beatings being spat upon. In Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood in anguish as he faces the sin of the world. Being hung on a cross and eventually breathing his last, being buried in a tomb 
And Mark ends abruptly his whole gospel with effectively it was empty. He doesn't talk about what happens next because that's why he says the beginning of the good news, the gospel. See, Mark has always got this mindset that this is the beginning. And beyond this, the gospel continues to go out into the world and to be proclaimed and to be written by the ones who would come to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. And that is us. That is the church. That is all that has happened since. And as we journey, we should always be looking to see what our role is in the coming of the king, the coming of the kingdom, and the declaration of the victory of the good news about Jesus' death and resurrection. Well, I pray that this week you'll start reading Mark, start reading through it, start preparing your hearts and asking Jesus to reveal himself to you so that we can walk this journey over the coming uh, year or so. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the book of Mark. Thank you that we can come confidently knowing that Jesus is uh, the Messiah, that the good news, the gospel is that he has come that he has lived, that he has ministered, that he has gone to the cross and that he has been raised again to life so that the good news can impact us in a way where we no longer take whatever we want of him, but we have to embrace everything as we open the box of your gospel and as we uh, allow the truth to be set free and to have an impact in our life and in the world around us. So, Father God, bless us this week and watch over us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.